Okay, maybe I was wrong about a government shutdown after all. Maybe there really will be a government shutdown. Uh, look, it's not over yet. It, it's not a done deal, but a lot of people think it's imminent. A lot of people think the government is clearly going to shut down. They can't pass a spending bill in time. I'm going to wait and see. I'm holding out. I'm not going to believe it until it happens. If there is a government shutdown, number one, I will admit that I was wrong, okay? It's good Good every once in a while. It's very humbling, very humbling for the ego uh, to be wrong. And I predicted no government shutdown based on past experiences. I will be pleasantly surprised. I'll be very happy if there is a government shutdown because I think it's the right thing to do. I just didn't think that Kevin McCarthy had the guts to do it. And I'm still not convinced, but I'm willing to admit that I may be wrong. So we have that to get to. Of course, on Thursday, the Republicans launch an impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden. So that's pretty big news. Doesn't mean there's going to be an impeachment. We'll have to wait and see, but we'll get into that a little bit. Also, I have a Dvartoira. I would like to share some thoughts on the Yumtiv of Sukkis and the meaning of Sukkah and Zecher Lanane HaKavad. I do want to share that. So just a brief Dvartoira, just a thought about that. Uh, and there's some other stuff to get to, but obviously it's Erev Yomtev here, so I'm just recording a very short show just so that we, you know, able to, I had to just share some of my thoughts here with all of you, and uh, hopefully that's something that you appreciate as well. So number one, government shutdown. Look, I still am not convinced the House is right now trying to pass a stopgap measure. It would be something perhaps that even the conservatives would agree to because it would cut spending significantly and it would just be stopgap. It's always stopgap, right? And then in a few weeks, they're going to go through this whole messy process once again. It's just, it's, it's an embarrassment at this point. It's just such an embarrassment. They wait until the last possible minute. Like, why couldn't you just deal with, you knew it was coming six months ago. They knew that it was coming. They knew that the government, the funding runs out at the end of September. This is not like something that is covered like three days ago. Hey guys, one second. We don't have enough funding to get through October and to get the rest of the year. Here, we, we better do something about this, but that's how it goes. And, uh, look, I'm, I'm still not convinced. Basically, even if they pass this in the House with the conservatives on board and not, not clear that the conservatives would agree to this, they're not going to send money to Ukraine. They're going to cut spending in a lot of areas. And then they send it back to the Senate. Senate's controlled by Democrats. So the odds are the, the Senate is not going to pass it. The other option here is, which I thought would happen, is that Kevin McCarthy and the moderate Republicans uh, cut a deal with the Democrats in the House and pass something and leave the conservatives out in the cold. The reason McCarthy is not doing that is because he has a deal. Remember, Matt Gates, Lauren Boebert, the, the, the conservatives in the House, Jim Jordan, when they elected Kevin McCarthy as speaker, they said, you cannot pass an omnibus massive spending bill. We have to cut spending. They made this part of the deal. It's like the people who say, oh, how could the Republicans, how could they shut down the government? You know, the people who are making the Republicans out to be these monsters for actually shutting, and shutting down the government, I think it's the right thing to do. I don't think it's a bad move at all. And it's not even, no one's even going to feel it. The only people going to feel it, some government workers are not going to get paid for a few weeks. Then they're going to eventually get all, get it all in back pay. That always happens. So, and probably some of them are even going to get to take off for a few weeks during the shutdown and still get back pay. So the whole thing's really just a big sham. Like, don't fall for a lot of the bluster, a lot of the, the, you know, the fake rhetoric that the fake news media is telling you that a government shutdown would somehow be a disaster, affect the credit rating, all that stuff. It's really no big deal. It's happened before. Never any repercussions. And it has to happen. We're sending billions of dollars to Ukraine. That's nuts. We're, with so much COVID money that's being spent is nuts. But here's the thing is 
if they end up shutting down the government, that shows that Kevin McCarthy really is under the influence, heavy influence of the conservatives. And that's a good thing because spending is out of control. The board is out of control. They can use this. They can use the budget as a negotiating tool to actually uh, help stop the border crisis to some degree, helping at least increase border spending and you know possibly uh, force certain, certain border secu- secure, security measures to be put into place. But the media is going to blame the Republicans no matter what. So it's like, oh, the government shut down. They're going to blame the Republicans. And then we're just going to look bad. And it's going to affect us in 2024. Nobody's going to remember it in November 2024. But it's faulty logic. You need to do what's right after COVID. The government increased spending by trillions of dollars. Most of that spending, some of it was just COVID relief. Most of that, a lot of that spending is still intact, believe it or not. It's insane that we're still doing COVID spending after COVID is long gone. Okay, Ukraine funding government programs, Obamacare, Medicare, Social Security, and, and inflation. Inflation is out of control. The government spending is increasing inflation, making it off the charts. I literally get depressed. I sometimes go shopping or go to different stores and see the prices on some of these things and see the gas prices and everything else. And it's depressing. It's depressing how inflation is just through the roof and we're just all sitting here like a bunch of zombies, like a bunch of mindless, numb robots, like, oh, wow, we're just spending a fortune. What about mortgage rates? People can't afford to buy houses. People, you know, credit card, interest rates. People want to take loans from the bank and it costs a fortune. Everything costs a fortune and it's all because of the Democrats and the spending and the Republicans who who are complicit, the Republicans who, who agreed to this and who keep spending, passing these spending packages again and again and do nothing to cut spending. And it it really is crushing the country. So what happens is, think about this, the Democrats uh, hijacked the country, the moderate Republicans have hijacked the Republican Party, they spend like crazy, they get involved in wars like the Ukraine war, they open the borders, they expand government programs, they redistribute the wealth. And what happens? Nobody does anything about it because then the Republicans, the few conservatives who actually care, they step in and they say, you know what? Something's got to – this has to stop. This is insanity. It has to stop. We got to shut down the government because it's the only way. And then what happens? The Democrats and the media, they make them out to be the monsters. These people are monsters. These people are the only ones with a little bit of sanity, the only ones with a little bit of reason who realize that we can't spend like – five six hundred billion dollars or seven hundred billion dollars a year in interest payments and just keep printing money and let inflation just get out of control and then the media decimates them the media makes it like republicans are worse than kim jong-un and they blame us and then the crises get even worse so that's why you have to have a shutdown like it's as simple as that as far as i'm concerned because they need to finally rein in all the insane spending it really is this is it these these are our fears the inflation the mortgage rates the economy, which is tanking, and it, all, all these things are the things that we were afraid of. It's happening, and it's only getting worse. And if they don't shut down the government and actually, you know, cut spending in a big way, then it's never going to change. It's just going to keep getting worse unless Trump gets elected in 2024. All right. So uh, there was a debate, second Republican debate. I'm not going to get into that now. Maybe, maybe we'll get into that next week. It's a, it's a debate for runner, for runner up. They're debating for runner up. So that really does take away a lot of the kind of thrill and excitement. So, you know, there are people who say that Ron DeSantis uh, may have won the debate, may have made a strong case, but look, he's polling fifth right now in New Hampshire. So it like, and again, not knocking DeSantis at all. And DeSantis would be a fine uh, nominee as far as I'm concerned. But again, it's just kind of hard to get excited. At this point, when it's so clear what the outcome is going to end up being, and these guys are on the debate stage, it's almost a little cringeworthy, honestly. Not that I don't respect them and admire them and and support them, but, like, you don't think you're going to win, right? Now, 
All right, the, the impeachment inquiry, Jim Jordan, I thought he was very strong. Look, they're going to the, 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 we know about Hunter Biden and Burisma and all the scandals on the laptop and everything else. And now, uh by the way, remember the Hunter Biden laptop was like Russian disinformation. Now Hunter Biden is suing Rudy Giuliani for I guess hacking into his laptop or for um uh, accessing his personal information. That's funny because it wasn't even his laptop. And now conveniently it is his laptop when he wants to sue, become like the 20,000th person who's suing Rudy Giuliani, which is very sad for Giuliani that because he actually defends Trump and because he actually tries to fight for justice that uh, now Rudy Giuliani is, is, is suffering from so many lawsuits and of course is having millions and millions of dollars that he has to spend on legal fees. He has to have a legal defense fund. It really is sad. I mean, this was the man everyone forgets what he did for New York City, what he did after 9-11, all forgotten, how he, t- he took down the mafia. It's just unbelievable. Rudy Giuliani, he's an American hero. And look at how, look at how he's getting treated. Why? Because he's, uh, Trump's lawyer and because he's such a strong supporter and defender of truth. And there are so few people out there. But anyway, Jim Jordan laid out four facts. Okay. Indisputable facts. Fact number one, Hunter Biden sat on the board of Burisma. Hunter, uh, fact number two, Hunter Biden was not qualified to be on the board of Burisma. He admitted it. He said, if my name wasn't Biden, I would not have been on the board of Burisma. Fact number three, Joe Biden as VP got Victor Shokin fired, who was investigating Burisma. These are literally indisputable facts. Fact number four, the investigation was then closed. Okay, so the question only is, and that's in addition to all the other scandalous stuff, we know about the FBI informant who said Joe Biden was paid $5 million by Burisma. Burisma needed Joe Biden to clean up their mess. We know about Joe Biden uh, and his brother and his son Hunter and a lot of his family members, them getting all sorts of money through these, whether they were shell companies or through these different bank accounts. Very hard to trace, but there are all there's all this evidence, a preponderance of evidence. We know about the email about the big guy, Tony Bobolinsky, Devin Archer. So and now there's a text message from Hunter Biden sent to his uncle Jim, Joe Biden's brother, saying, I'm not like Pop. I won't make you give me half the money that you earn, basically uh implying that Joe Biden would, would force his family members to give him a cut or give him fifty percent a fifty percent cut of all the money that they earn and we know where they were earning that money. We know about all the scandals, you know about all the corruption. And here's the question is are they going it, it really very, comes down to one thing. There's pl- there's more than ample evidence to impeach Joe Biden 20 times over. They have way infinitely more dirt on Joe Biden than they ever had on Trump, and they impeached Trump twice. Okay, the question again, are the Republicans going to have the courage to impeach Joe Biden? Now, here's the here's one question. Can they link all, all – you find all the scandals, all, all the Hunter payments, the foreign lobbying, and the millions of dollars in payoffs in Burisma and China, CEFC and all that – Okay, they're gonna, they, they have that link to Hunter. They have Hunter texting China, threatening, saying, I'm right with my father. We know now Joe Biden had all these links to Hunter Biden's business associates, the foreign business associates, even though Joe Biden denied it a million times over. He's been lying. That's a fact. And we know about the cover up, them rigging the investigation into Hunter. Jim Biden, Joe Biden's brother, also very corrupt. Can they link it back to Joe? Number one, you may not even need to link it back to Joe because it could be enough if you've got family members who are benefiting, getting millions of dollars in payoffs from all these uh, foreign entities, and Joe Biden's VP, and he's complicit, and then he does political favors, even if he didn't actually pocket a dime, that still may be enough to impeach him, because that could be bribery. Your family member gets paid off, you, you in return, you give a political favor. What do you think that is? That's corruption, bribery, high crimes and misdemeanors, more than passes the threshold, I would think. I'm not, I'm not a kind of constitutional scholar, but then again, the Democrats who impeach Trump weren't constitutional scholars either. And uh, number two, 
uh, and I feel like it's at this point you can get a constitutional scholar to say whatever you want them to say, right? Because so it's so politically charged. Number two, Joe Biden arguably did get plenty of money, so he is arguably linked to all of that. So look, we're gonna wait and see. I, I don't think there's good. I hope I'm wrong. You know, it's kind of like the government shutdown where I don't think Kevin McCarthy has the courage to do it, but maybe under pressure he will. And I've been very supportive of Kevin McCarthy. I think he was very pro-Trump. You know, he, he he came down hard against a lot of the Democrats with a lot of these scandals in January 6th and everything else. But again, it takes a lot because you're going to get crushed by the media. You impeach Joe Biden, the media is going to decimate Kevin McCarthy and the, and the Republican Party. Can he stomach that? I'm not saying it's easy. Other than Trump, can anybody stomach that? Government shutdown, Kevin McCarthy's going to be under immense pressure, and he's going to get the blame. He doesn't deserve the blame, but he's going to get the blame. The conservatives are going to get the blame. They don't deserve the blame. The the, the Democrats, Joe Biden, and the moderate Republicans who love spending and who get all these millions for their own districts and then – pass these spending bills and get who knows what benefit out of it. They're the ones who should be demonized, but they never do. It's the conservatives who are actually trying to fix the mess that's been created. They're the ones who get demonized. So we're going to wait and see on all of that. All right. Devartaira for uh, Sukkis. So we know there's a famous Machlekes Tanaim in Masecha Sukkah. I believe it's on Dafi and Aleph on the base. What is the Sukkah commemorative of? Is the Sukkah commemorative of Sukkah's Mamish or does, does the Sukkah commemorate uh, the Anani HaKavad, right? Machlekes Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Akiva, I believe. Rabbi Eliezer says Sukkahs are Zechel Anani HaKavad. Rabbi Akiva says Sukkahs are Zechel to Sukkahs Mamish. So according to Rabbi Akiva, the sukkah, when the, when the Torah says, Basukah's Teshvu Shivas Yomim, and it says, Laman Yedu Derasechem Ki Basukah's Heshaptias Pene Yisrael, right? Hashem says that we should sit in the sukkah nowadays in order to commemorate and to reenact and relive what happened back in the Midbar. So there's two opinions. One opinion is that it's actually talking about huts. They actually lived in huts. Some people translated as Taichit as a booth, but they actually lived in huts at one point and they were protected. It was a miracle. It was a nath. They were protected from Nechash Makrovim, from snakes and scorpions. And there is an opinion that it was actually Sukkos Mamish. That's Rabbi Kiva. Rabbi Eliezer's opinion is they know it's Zechot to the Anonia covered. Zechot to the what we call clouds of glory, but to the Anunim, of course, that surrounded Bnei Yisrael on six sides and miraculously protected Bnei Yisrael while they were in the Midbar for years. So, you know, obviously they're in the Midbar for 40 years. So that's the Machlekes. So uh, a couple of points. Number one, how do we paskin in this Machlekes? Well, it's an unusual Machlekes in the sense that there wouldn't seem to be a clear-cut nafkamina halacha. What's the practical nafkamina? That does happen sometimes as a Machlekes of, uh, you know, what the actual explanation is of the Psukim. But it is interesting. Is there any Machlekes? So the Shulchan Aruch actually seems to paskin like the Mandiyamras uh, Anani HaKavit. There is a similar Shulchan Aruch that says that Sukkos are Zecha to the Anani HaKavit. It seems to Paskin like Rabbi Eliezer. Now the question is, what's the point of that Psak? Is there any kind of real Nafkamina? Is there really any practical Nafkamina that comes out of that Machlekes? Well, there, there, there may be, because of course there's a concept of having Kavana. You, the Mishabura says, and many Paiskim say you're supposed to have Kavana for the Anani HaKavit when you sit, because the Pazik says, Laman Yedudurasech, and the Pazik gives a reason um, so when the puzzle gives a reason, similar to other mitzvahs, so the puzzle gives a reason, that's telling you you're supposed to actually have that in mind. Now it could be very possible that you're not that you're still yotze the mitzvah, even if you don't have in mind. If you just sit in the sukkah and mind to be yotze the mitzvah, you don't have to think to yourself, oh, the schach, which is the yikar part of the sukkah, is zeker to the ananiyah covered. But maybe, probably the schach. Maybe you could argue the walls. That that that's a separate 
discussion beyond the scope of this. But um, do you have to think the sukkah is echatin on covenant or not? You should certainly think that. But even if you don't, you're probably going to the mitzvah. But it still is an afkamina. Because we pass like Rabbi Eliezer, so we're thinking the sukkahs are zecher to the Ananiah covered, not zecher to the sukkahs mamash, to the actual huts that Bnei Yisrael may have camped in at some point in the Midbar. But then the question is, I have a different question I've, I've had for a while, which is, the Pusik says, ki basukkahs hashafti. The Pusik says that Bnei Yisrael were kept in sukkahs. Hashem housed us, placed us in sukkahs, right? If According to Rabbi, Rabbi Kiva, obviously that's good. It's talking about literally sukkahs, but according to Rabbi Eliezer, why would the Pusik call it sukkahs? If the Pusik meant to say anonim, why wouldn't it just, there are other Pusikim that refer to the Ananim, they refer to that, we fact that B'nai Yisrael were surrounded by an Anan, by uh, clouds. Why would the Pusik not spell out, ki ba'anane ha'kavod, or ba'anonim ha'shaftiz B'nai Yisrael? Why would the Pusik call it a sukkah? If it, 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 it's almost, a little puzzling because we're, we're sitting in a sukkah. We're trying to remember the Anani HaKovet according to Rabbi Eliezer, but the Pusik is calling it a sukkah and not calling it an Anan, not calling it a cloud. Why would that be? Trouble with me for a while. And here's what I think might be a suggestion, which is as follows. What is the whole point of the Anani HaKovet? What is really, what are we trying to commemorate with the Anani HaKovet? It's obviously a protective name as well. It was a big nace. It was a big miracle that happened during the CS Mitzrayim. But why, Mepharshim asked, why the Ananim versus anything else? You know, we don't have a yumptive for the Mun. We don't have a special yumtiv for other um, nisim that happened in, in the midbar. So there is an interesting gemara. There's a gemara that says There's a pasuk that says that why was Bnei Yisrael zeicha to the Ananiya covered? What did Bnei Yisrael? What was the schus through which Bnei Yisrael merited to be surrounded and protected by the Ananiya covered in the midbar? When Avram Avinu greeted the three malachim, when Avram Avinu did achnasas archim, the three um, angels, the three malachim who visited Avram Avinu in Parshas Vayera, that when they ate, Avram Avinu was with them. Avram Avinu was actually accompanying them, standing over them, standing with them while they ate. Why, and therefore, I think it's a command of a comma that says that's why B'nai Yisrael was zeichet to the Ananiya covered in, 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 as a schus of that. And there are many things that Yukach Namat Mayim was the Be'er. There are other things also that were zeichet to from Avram Avinu. It seems then, maybe what is the purpose of the Ananiya covered? It's really that Hashem is keeping us company, that we, Hashem's presence is always with us. Just like Avram Avinu stayed with the, his Orchim, with his guests, and his presence was there because people, Reb Tzaddik says, a, a human being doesn't want to be alone. A human being, we resist loneliness and we always want company. So Hashem, in a certain sense, may be keeping us company. The Hashkachas Hashem, the, the, the knowledge and the presence of Hashem being with us at all times, even dark times, even times we don't feel it, even times we feel lonely, Hashem is with us. So in the Midbar, the ultimate um, place of loneliness, Hashem was with us the entire time. The Anunim are really a symbol of Hashem's essence being with us. And even at times, even in Golis, even at times when we don't feel it, maybe that's really the message of the Ananiya covered. The reason it's a yumtiv is Hashem is always with us. It's remembering even when we fail to see it, even when it's very difficult to see. And when it feels like we are alone, Hashem is always with us, always there. Okay, if that's the idea of the Ananiya covered, it's a beautiful concept that Hashem's presence is with us no matter what, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're experiencing, Hashem is there. Even if it's not always something practical that we actually can feel, but, but maybe it is something we can feel, but maybe we have to really use our imagination or we have to really concentrate on it and focus on it. But Hashem is always with us. That is maybe the message of the Ananiya Covenant, just like Avram Avinu with his Archim. If that's true, that could be why the Pusik says Sukkot. If the Pusik would say Anunim, the Pusik would say that we should remember the clouds, then we would say to ourselves, you know what? 
that was that happened back then. That happened in the midbar. That's not something which we which we can adapt to our lives, apply to our lives. Yes, in the midbar there were special nisim v'neflois. Yes, in the midbar they had special hashgacha. If the pasuk said you should sit in a sukkah because that commemorates the anonim that happened in the midbar, we would think to ourselves, okay, that was then. We commemorate it, great nace. But you know what? How does that affect me right now? The pasuk specifically, according to Eliezer, calls the anonim a sukkah. It calls it something mundane. A sukkah is mundane. We reenact it now. It's a hut. It's a booth. It's something that that that, that, that looks very mundane. Because now we say to ourselves, you know what? The Torah is sending me a message here. The Torah is calling it a sukkah, not an anon, because the Torah is trying to tell me this is something which surrounds us every day of our lives. Even though you're living in a sukkah, or you're living in a house, or you're you're driving in a car, you're walking down the street, you're in a building. Building. You're going through regular, mundane, ordinary life. You don't feel the presence of Hashem. Kiba sukkah heshafti. When Hashem, Hashem's presence is there, even in a sukkah, Hashem's presence is there. Even in the you find the most mundane dwelling place, Hashem's presence is there. Just like Hashem protected Bnei Yisrael with the Anani Hakavod, and they felt it. They felt the cover. They felt the glory. They felt the shechina. Kiba sukkah heshafti. That that's a sukkah. That's the kind of thing that can happen at any time, any place. It could even happen in a sukkah. It could happen in a mundane hut that looks to you just like a regular, ordinary, uh, flimsy piece of material. That is where Hashem's presence is. Because if you are there and you're a yid, then Hashem's presence is there with you. Hope everybody has a wonderful, wonderful yumtif and bez Hashem. I look forward to seeing you next time.